Good morning. We are so glad that you are here. We are one week from Christmas anticipating just some great ministry that's going to happen over this next week. And we so encourage you to be a part of it. We need you to invite. We need you to serve. We need you to attend. Bring your friends, bring your family. Uh, It's going to be an incredible week. But I don't want us to look so forward to next week that we forget this week. Because I really believe that God has a word for you today as we continue walking through this series called Missing Christmas. And if you're new here today, uh, my name's Steve Allen. I am the outreach pastor, so I do all of our international stuff and our local stuff. And uh, Pastor Dan's not here today. So, you know, be praying for him as he prepares, you know, for Christmas Eve services and things like that. And, And this series on Missing Christmas, you know, two weeks ago, you know, we, t- we talked about how, um, you know, sometimes we just get distracted from the real meaning of Christmas, and it's so easy. I mean, last night, you know, we had all our young adults over at our house, and we're playing games, and we're having cookies, and, you know, there's music going on, and we're talking about Elf and the Santa Claus and all these awesome movies, and there's so many distractions, and some of you that are parents, you know, I don't know how many, you know, Christmas concerts and orchestra concerts and games and things like that that you went to over the last week, but I know it's more than I did because my kids are all grown now, and so I'm, I'm missing those things, but I'm missing those things at the same time. And then last week, we talked about disappointment and how sometimes we miss Christmas because of disappointment. And as exciting as we try to make Christmas, we also know for a lot of you, Christmas is hard. There's a, a lot of hurt that has come through the Christmas season. You know, for some of you, just missing family members and missing friends that have either passed or aren't able to come home over the holidays. You know, for some of you, maybe it's broken relationships or financial struggles or medical concerns. Um, You know, and sometimes those, you know, become so consuming that it distracts us from that meaning of Christmas. And, you know, if you're coming heavy-hearted today, you know, my hope, just, just like we, we sang, you know, in these songs that, you know, Jesus is enough. It, G- Jesus can bring healing to whatever your hurt is. You know, for some of you, you come with just baggage of, yeah, it's been a tough year, that you have a lot of hurts and habits and hangups, and we believe Jesus is enough. Jesus can bring healing and victory, you know, over those things also. And, you know, we don't want to lose sight of what's that real meaning of Christmas. You know, and, and it's what Linus said in the Charlie Brown Christmas show that, you know, we watched two weeks ago. But it's, it's the scripture in Luke chapter 2. You know, it says this. It says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem. And you just think about the magnitude of that, that God in heaven, the God that put the planets in motion would come down on earth in the flesh to reconcile you to the Savior, to reconcile you so you could spend eternity with him, that he would lay down his life on the cross because of his deep love for you. That's the meaning of Christmas. And it's so easy to just drive down the streets and, you know, see Christmas lights and Santa Clauses and things like that, you know, which are fun in themselves, but it's this. This is what brings the meaning of Christmas. It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, is we're, we're going to uh, keep focusing on the Christmas story, and we're going to focus on a different character today in the Christmas story. And I know in my 40 years of being a Christ follower, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on King Herod. And so since I've never heard one, I have to give one. And uh, we, uh, we'll figure out how all this goes. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach a little bit because I'm a former English teacher, and then I'm going to preach a lot of bit. And uh, so we're going to walk through this. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Then I'll tell you what I'll tell you. And then I'll tell you what I told you, okay? So like Pastor Tyler, he's our, our youth guy. We were in the Philippines a couple weeks ago, and we're talking about uh, giving messages. And he, he leans over to me and he goes, Steve, you really only have three messages, don't you? I said, yeah, why do you need more? And he goes, so what message are you giving? The, hey, go into all the world and let's proclaim the name of Christ. Or are you giving the, hey, die to yourself message? Or, hey, suck it up and let's get after this and start doing faith, you know, our way. And I, so today it's the second one, okay? Just so you know uh, where we're going. I was like, oh my gosh, Tyler's right. I only have three messages, but Jesus only had one. So, you know, we'll keep working that direction. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 today and the scripture and the Christmas story. And we're going to talk about King Herod. And so let's read what God's word says. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. When it was time to leave, the wise men returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So this King Herod guy, obviously not a nice guy. I mean, he's, he's out trying to kill all the babies. And, you know, so as a former English teacher, you know, anytime we, we looked at a piece of literature you know, in, in the classroom, you know, we'd start looking at character studies and things like that. And, you know, with the Bible, you know, it's, it's really no different. I want to, I want to give you a little English lesson. And you're just like, oh my gosh, it's Sunday. Seriously, we're on Christmas break. But I'm gonna give you an English lesson. This isn't as captivating as why the green, the light is green at the end of Daisy's Dock and the great Gatsby or, you know, why Tim Johnson, the rabid dog got shot by Atticus and to kill a mockingbird. It's not, you know, I mean, that's pretty captivating stuff, I'm sure. But, you know, when we look at King Herod, King Herod is the antagonist of this story because most stories have a villain of some type. But King Herod, he's the king of Judea at this time. And this area, the whole area is ruled by the Romans. 
But Herod, he's buddies with Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, and he's buddies with Mark Anthony. Okay, so that's why he was able to get in position of power. Now, Herod, he lived from 75 BC to 4 BC. Now, think about that, because I, I was, you know, I, I remember years ago thinking, wait, Jesus wasn't born in the year zero? I always thought he was. I thought, you know, that's why we, you know, this is BC and after death. And no, Jesus was probably born around 4 BC, probably, because we have really good historical evidence of when Herod died. But Herod, this guy's vicious. He had his wife executed. He had two sons executed. He had his mother-in-law executed. He had his brother-in-law executed. He also killed 46 of the Sanhedrin, which are like the Supreme Court of, of this area. And he ordered, like we just read, the killing of all the baby boys under the age of two. That's King Herod. And, you know, Caesar Augustus, he, he made this statement about Herod. And he said, you know, it's better to be one of Herod's dogs than one of his kids. That's, that's the guy that's ruling, you know, the area at this time. And in the Bible, you know, because some of you are probably thinking, wait, but King Herod was there, but they also took Jesus to Herod before they crucified him. Well, in the Bible, there's four different Herods that are mentioned. King Herod that we just read about. And then he had, uh, two, well, he had more than two. Two of his sons, Herod Archelaus, he was the one that ruled when Jesus returned. So he's the one that took over. But even that guy, he slaughtered 3,000 prominent citizens. Okay, another son of his, Herod Antipas, he was the one that was ruling uh, when, the, when Jesus went to the cross and they brought Jesus to Herod. That was King Herod's son. And then his grandson also had power and he was the one that had James killed in Acts chapter 12. And his name was Herod Agrippa. So there's different Herods mentioned, but we're talking about Herod the Great. And, and you know, in this Christmas story, you think about this idea of missing Christmas. Why did Herod miss Christmas? I mean, you know, you start thinking about it to, to delve a little deeper. Well, he missed it because of his quest for power, his selfishness, doing things his way, not, not being concerned of the things of eternity, but the things of the flesh. He was concerned about wealth. He was concerned, you know, about those things. And I was like, oh my gosh, so am I sometimes. And I think, how often do we miss Christmas because of those things of the flesh? That the things of the flesh become so important to us that we lose sight of what's most important. Because, if, you know, if you look at the picture of these two kings that are here at the same time, we have, you know, King Herod, you know, the earthly king, the one that is wanting people to serve him, the one that is quest, you know, for power and authority. And then we have baby Jesus, the heavenly king, the merciful king, the king that came to serve and not to be served. I mean, what, what a contrast of the two. And, and you know, as, as we watch, you know, this story unfold, you know, about King Herod, you know, it's kind of that question, so what does that have to do with me? You know, as we look at Scripture, you know, we don't want to make Scripture man-centric, that Scripture is about me. No, Scripture is about God. 
You know, it's a God-centric book, but in it, we can look at, okay, how, how does this transform me? How does this impact me? And that's what we're going to look at today. The story of Herod, how does it, how does it uh, affect us? Because w- when you look at those things like selfishness and jealousy and power, those are all symptomatic of, of a much deeper thing. You know, we don't want to address the symptoms. We want to address the root. It's just like in your own life and in my life, when I look at pride, pride's a symptom. What the root is, when, when, when I make prideful decisions, is I want to do things my way. I want it on my terms. You know, when I'm jealous of people, that's a symptom. What the root is, is I want to do things my way. I want to live on my terms. I, I want to be the one in charge. And so the question for you, when your head hits the pillow, you know, when you go to bed at night and you reflect back on the day, you reflect back on your week, how are you living your life? How are you living your life? Are you living it on your terms or are you living it on his? I know this isn't a very Christmassy message, but at the root it is, because it's about the power of Christ that's being manifest, you know, here on earth. And, you know, in a room like this, I, I know there's two different people in this room. There's, there's those that are here just seeking. You know, you're not a follower of Christ yet. You know, you're here because either somebody invited you here, you're a guest, maybe some, a situation in your life is causing, maybe I need to go to church You know, for those of you that are seeking Christ, I think there's a message in this for you today. Because what I want you to grab is that there is a God in heaven that loves you and cares for you and wants to bring healing to you and wants to bring relationship to you. And he wants to walk this journey with you because he has eternity designed for you. And if that's you, and if you're seeking, you know, at, at the end of, this, uh, of the message today, you know, we're going to have a time where you can make a decision to follow Christ and just say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own, and it ain't working. I want to do it on your terms, because you're the one that made me and designed me. You know, for some of you that are followers of Christ, that's the other person in the room, you know, the question is, how are you doing in living out your faith? Because I know for me, sometimes I feel like it's two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward and one step back. You know, it's, it's like what Billy Graham said. Sometimes, you know, as I learn more and more about Christ, the closer I get to Christ, the farther away I realize I am. And it's like, God, I, I want this life to be different. I want, me, I want to live less by the flesh and more by the Spirit. And it's this constant battle. I want to grow in my spiritual maturity that next Christmas of 23, I'm more mature in my faith than I am at Christmas of 22. That I, I don't just get satisfied saying, okay, God, I arrived. You know, this is, this is the best you're gonna get, a 56-year-old broken guy that is just trying to figure out life. No, I, I, want, I want to discover that intimacy with Christ that is so appealing. You, you know when you see that one person and you're just like, Man, I want what that person has. It just feels like they're walking in such a deep, intimate relationship with Christ, and I'm not. 
And, and so the question is, how, how do we move that direction? How do we grow in, in, that, in that spiritual maturity? Because like Ephesians 4 says, it says, don't be like an infant tossed back and forth by the wind, but be mature in your faith. You know, it's just like a, a young child grows and develops that we should be growing and developing in our faith. And, and what it comes down to is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. Because, you know, I, I want to unpack that a little bit of, you know, as a follower of faith, as a follower of Christ, how should we live our life? What's that, what's that key root thing that we need to expose so that it will start being, bringing life change? And, and now here's what I don't want you to hear that this, to be more intimate with Christ, is just a list of do's and don'ts. It's behavior modification. If I do more of this, I'm better. If I do more of this, I'm worse. And you spend your whole life going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you feel like I'm never gonna measure up because that's not the story of this. The story of this is about spiritual transformation, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you and begins to change you from the inside out. That's what we're striving for, is how do we live more by the spirit than by the flesh? And so what Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter 14, you know, he's with his guys and they're asking, what is a disciple? Because that's what we, we need to figure out as followers of Christ. We're called to be disciples. And it says this in Luke 14, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple." You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sister, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. Now, th think about what he said. By comparison, that my love for Christ is so great that by comparison, everything else feels like hatred. I love my wife, Carrie. I love her more than any other person on the face of this planet. But what Jesus is saying is, Steve, compared to your love for me, this love should feel like hate. And that's hard. Because sometimes I get those inverted that I find myself loving my family or myself or other things more than I love Christ. It's like when Jason and Johnny, the two, my two young son-in-laws came, you know, asking for my blessing to marry my daughters. And I said, you know, I really, there's just one thing that's most important to me. You know, and of course they're sweating like, oh my gosh, what? I said, I want you to love Jesus more than you love her. Because if you do, it's going to work out. That's all, that's all I really care about. Love Jesus more than you love her. And, I, and then I go home and I look in the mirror and Jesus is saying, but Steve, will you love me more than you love yourself? And there, there's days I know I totally have that backwards. But Jesus continues on. You know, if that's not hard enough, he says, so you cannot be my disciple with giving up everything you own. Give up everything you own. It's like when you sell a car, you sign over the title and you hand it to the new owner. That car is now theirs. It's in their possession. And it's the same thing in the faith journey is I, I sign over the title to my life and I say, Jesus, I'm yours. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. 
So if I am not my own, why do I live like I am? Why do I live like it's me that's most important than what Jesus has for me? And that's the shift that needs to happen. It's coming to a place when we talk about King Herod. What does Herod really need? You know, he doesn't need less power. He doesn't need less homes. He needs to come to the place of absolute surrender. And that's what we all need as followers of Christ. You know, as a follower of Christ, you know, each one of you have made that decision, God, I'm going to accept you as my Savior and my Lord, and I'm going to follow you. I made that decision as a 16-year-old in the cafeteria at CV. But have you come to that place of absolute surrender? Just say, God, everything, everything I have is yours. My calendar is yours. My checkbook is yours. My career is yours. My children are yours. My comfort is yours. That's what Jesus is asking of us, is to come to that place of absolute surrender. That's the journey he wants to take us on. And and it it is such a rewarding journey. It's hard, and that's why he calls us to do it together. But it's so rewarding. Because at the end... Isn't that what you want to hear? After your last breath, don't you want to stand before the Lord and Jesus says, Brad, well done. Well done. Zach, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear, Seth? Well done. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear that more than anything else but I know what what Jesus is calling me to and he's calling us to as a church is to come to that place of surrender. We have to come to that place of surrender. You know, for me, um, you know, it's it's that question with surrender. And I want to ask you this question, just kind of ponder this for a second. Have you come to that place? Have you died to yourself. Just say, okay, Jesus, this life I have is yours. I'm going to trust you in all of it. Because that's what he's asking us to. You know, as young parents, are you surrendering your kids, saying, Jesus, these are your kids. I'm going to parent them your way. You know, as retired people saying, God, this time I have is yours. How do you want me to use it? You know, and, and, and so it's that question of, you know, who owns, who owns the papers to your life? Have you died to yourself? Sometimes I think I've died to myself, and then I feel like I'm just going, you know, and giving CPR, and oh, I'm back alive again, you know, living by the flesh, you know, and it's like, come on, would you just die, you know? And, but but it's that, that's that constant struggle. It's like, Jesus, I just want to fall in love with you. I want to fall in love with you so much that it just consumes me. For those of you that are married, remember that moment you fell in love? Oh, I remember it with Carrie. She was walking across the gym at CV High School. We were childhood sweethearts, you know, I'm 15. She walked across the gym, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fabulous. And I, I, I mean, fit my 15-year-old self has fallen in love, but it just began to consume everything. 
you know, and I'm, I'm writing little notes and folding them like ducks and, you know, and stuff like that and handing them to her. But I want to fall in love with Jesus like that, where I'm so passionate about Jesus that it consumes everything, everything about my life. And, you know, as we're rolling into 23, this next year, you know, I, I want to challenge you with something. Because, you know, this is the time, a lot of time, people kind of take inventory of their own life. Hey, we're rolling into Christmas. You know, what, how, how am I doing? We're rolling into 2023. This is when, you know, people set, set goals and resolutions and things like that. But let's look at it with spiritual eyes. Because, you know, each, each year over the last couple of years, you know, I, I've spent time just praying, God, give me a word for the year. Just a word for me personally that, you know, something maybe prophetic that God's speaking to me that kind of guides how, what I'm reading and what I'm pursuing and things like that. In 2020, I felt like the word was breakthrough. God's going to give me breakthrough. Not knowing six months into 2020, I'm going to have open heart surgery, I'm going to have a stroke, I'm going to lose vision. But something happened in that. God gave me spiritual breakthrough that was supernatural. It was amazing to see how that word came to pass. Um, this last 2021, the year, the word was expansion. And, and I felt like, okay, God, I, I'm not sure what that means. You know, not that, oh, I'm going to become rich and famous. But I think what he's going to do is he's going to expand my influence. And all of a sudden, these opportunities around the world in the Middle East started happening. And I just really saw that word come to pass. And, and praying for this year, you know, last November, I'd start praying I had nothing. December came, I had nothing. And we went to the staff retreat in January and, and God gave me a word. And all year I've just been chewing on this word. And, and as I was preparing for this, ser this sermon, I felt like God said, Steve, this word's for you, but it's for the church. I want you to share it with the church. And what God showed me is he showed me a picture. And I've had moments like that where God's shown me a visual picture that has really been prophetic and has you know, formed you know, some of the direction in our life. And he showed me a picture of a movie that I had seen, I don't know, maybe 10 years earlier. And it's probably a movie most of you have seen, uh, the movie Narnia. And there's a scene in this movie, and it was so clear and it's right when King Peter, one of the four kids, he's leading Aslan's army into battle against the white witch. And they're getting ready to do battle. And then at the, right before he goes, he has a conversation with his right-hand guy. And I want you to watch this scene. Look to the sky! 
those three words, to the death. And I feel like that's what God is asking of our church. You want to go deeper? Die to yourself. You want to have more influence? Die to yourself. You want to see this church grow and expand? You want to see revival happen in Spokane and across the United States? Die to yourself. To the death. For 47 weeks, I have prayed that, okay, God, let it begin here, to the death. For 47 weeks, I take communion, and I say three words when I take the piece of bread, to the death. I say three words when I drink the cup, to the death. And, and you know, and it's a part of, God, I want to put myself in a posture of absolute surrender and dependency upon you. And I think that's what God is asking of this church as we prepare for 2023 to the death, to say, God, I want to fall so in love with you, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You know, and when you come to the end, you know, that you wouldn't just come coasting to a stop on some luxury cruise liner, but you would come skidding to a stop on a battleship. I'm just saying, God, it was every breath I took, every decision I made, was centered on you. And so there's two, two phrases in, in that video. One was, are you with me? And that's a decision, you know, as a non-follower of Christ, you know, Jesus is asking you that question. Are you with me? You know, and you have the opportunity to answer that and say, okay, God, I'm with you. I'm not gonna do this on my terms anymore. And then our response as a follower of Christ, are we willing to say to the death? You know, I want you to hear what Paul says in the book of Philippians. You know, because because it's this part, you know, here's Paul, the one that really launched the church in the New Testament. And I want to read this to you like Paul is talking to you. Because I just love scripture. I love, you know, when it feels so practical. Here's what Paul says. He goes, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have put confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous that, or zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And Paul continues, I once thought these things were valuable. I put my own phrase in there. I once thought baseball, money, prestige, popularity. I thought those were valuable. You know, what would you put in that sense? I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
That's what what Paul is, is telling us. It all becomes worthless. In the end, it is. The only thing that really matters is, are we loving God well, and are we loving people well? And so as we wrap up today, you know, that's my challenge for you. You know, I don't know if you have 30 years left, 30 days left, you know, 90 years left, whatever it is. But today, are you willing to say to the death, God, I surrender. I'm going to live it your way. And it's a big ask. But here's what I know. It's what what was said in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. That the Holy Spirit comes inside you to transform you. You know, if you're thinking, I can't do that. It's like, you're right, you can't. But God in you can. And that's where the power comes. That's where the transformation comes. As we lean into Christ, he changes us to become more like Christ. And that's where we begin to see that transformation and dying to yourself becomes easier and easier every day because you've experienced the magnitude and the glory of Jesus. And that's what we want as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, I think of that clip. Are you with me? God, I know you ask that of every person. And God, if there's people here today that have never made that decision to follow you, God, that right now, in the midst of their hurt and pain and struggle or success and whatever it is, God, it doesn't matter how we come. You take us as we are. God, that those people, we would pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've tried to do this on my own. And today, I repent from that and choose to follow you. Change me into the person that you designed me to be, that you crafted me to be from the beginning of time. And Father, for the rest of us, as a follower of Christ, God, when you ask us, are you with me? God, that we would say to the death, I surrender, I give up, I'm yours. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ. I am yours, Jesus. I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. And God, transform me, transform my family, transform my job. God, that everything that happens in my life would be glorifying to you. It wouldn't be promoting myself, but it'd be promoting you. That others would see a transformation that happens in my life. And Father, others would want to become engaged to the person of Jesus as a result. But God, let us, let us be different. As we roll into this next year, God, that people would know we've been with the Savior and we've come to the end of ourselves. God, be glorified in all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.